0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracedcitysd.com.
1: These are the words of the letter that the Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Gemara, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have the sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for bringing us here this morning. Um, thanks for your word. Thanks for um, the plan that you have uh, for all of us, for the the mission you've you've brought us to be part of. Um, God, we just pray that you'll speak to us this morning, uh, remind us of why we're here, uh, why this church is here, and uh, just pray for for power and clarity for Randall as he speaks. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.
0: Thanks, Ethan. All right, good morning, everybody. So it's good to see you. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name's Randall. Would love to meet you. Uh, One of the things about being a part of this church is that it's not just uh, me coming up, speaking on a Sunday morning, or us having songs, worship, all of that, but, but really connecting with the people that are around you. And I just wanna say that I'm available to you um, as pastor here, and so I'm just thankful that you're here this morning. Um, and welcome, if you are new. Uh, so we are in a vision series. Uh, like I talked about last week, we usually do uh, vision Sunday, but uh, I think this year it's very important for us to do a vision series because of the topic that we are discussing and talking about And so we have been studying, uh, particularly in this passage, the book of Jeremiah, uh, looking at Jeremiah 29, uh, at a time in history when the people of Israel were taken into captivity uh, by Babylon and brought into a place that was very uh, foreign to them because there was uh, many different religions. It was a pluralistic society. And so uh, the, the standard of morality was different. Um, And so they are brought into this uh, different place. And how do you live in a place that doesn't have the same belief systems that you do? Um, How do you live faithfully as uh, today for us as Christians in a society that would push back on some of the beliefs that we would see from the scriptures? How do you live faithfully in that? That's what we've been looking at, that's what we've been studying, and so we're looking at the book of Jeremiah, we're looking at Daniel, the book of Daniel in the fall really gives uh, and fleshes this out, but our goal through this series is that we will walk away and really understand what it means to be a resilient disciple of Jesus, a resilient disciple of Jesus. Jesus. A book that's been very helpful for me and I want to make available as a resource to you if you are interested is this book, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. And so I think this is super helpful for us as we think about living faithfully as disciples of Jesus. So I got a couple copies up here. If you come up here, you have to meet me. I want to talk to you. That's kind of like one of those things where it's like, hey, you got to talk to me if you want this book, Uh, because sometimes people are scared to talk to me. I don't know why. I'm not scary. I won't bite. And so I want to talk to you. I want to build a relationship. That's the the heart of who our church is. And uh, also, we have some resources at the Next Steps 10 if you feel like you need to go over there and get it from there, too. But I'll have it up here. So today, our text is Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 9. And the message that we're looking at today is seeking to plant roots in our city. Seeking to plant roots in our city. Now, over this three-week span, as our church is studying Jeremiah 29 and this exile of Israel to Babylon... The thing that I want us to walk away with is just some wisdom of what we can learn about what God's vision is for His church, for His people, and through that, what our calling as a church family here, Grace City, could be as we think about what it looks like to live in our city and be a faithful presence of the gospel. Now, when we talk about this word gospel, it's, it's a message not about what you can do, but what, a, what, what God has done. What God has done. See, the, the word gospel means good news. And so the news is a declaration over what has happened. It's almost like reading a newspaper article about something that's already happened, not saying, let me open up my to-do list and checklist and... Open that up today. So that's not the gospel, but the gospel is proclaiming what has been done for you and particularly what's been done for you in Jesus Christ. And so what that should do for our hearts is that should give us a sigh of relief that hold on, something has been done for me and it's not another thing to add to my to-do list. God has done something in history for you that should radically change your life forever and my life forever. And so how does that flesh out in living in the world that we live in today? Well, throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, it refers to believers as exiles in the world. Uh, The New Testament tells us that we are citizens of heaven. And in the book of Jeremiah, we see God's call to the nation of Israel to live as this faithful remnant of believers that don't distance themselves from the city, but seek the welfare of the city. Seek the betterment of the city. Jeremiah 29.7 informed us of that. And last week, what we did is we built a theology around this idea of being an exile. Because it isn't just in the Old Testament that we see that, but we see it used by Peter and 1 Peter. He talks about that. He says, you're exiles in this world. He basically says at the end of 1 Peter, he says, from Babylon, I'm writing you this. In the the book of Revelation, it talks about Babylon. Again, at that point, Babylon hadn't existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so why do they use this idea? It's because in many ways, the spirit of Babylon lives on. It lives on. And so our vision as a church is to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus, And I want to emphasize the word for. We are here for our city. Some churches, in the way that they're structured, it's built for themselves. We are here for ourselves. And we hope that other people will come along and be about our church. No, no, no. As believers in Jesus, we take seriously Jesus's command to love our neighbors as ourselves, and so we are a church for our city but along with that we believe that real life new life is found in Jesus Christ it's found in Christ and we want people to know the good news of Jesus and so what does it look like for us to be a church for our city well from today's text we'll see that God's call is for his people to plant roots in the city to plant roots in the city. For some of you here today, you might say, well, I'm only here for a few years. Maybe I'm here because the military told me to be here. I'm here for school or whatever it might be. But what my encouragement is to you today from what we see in scripture is to learn to plant roots. If you're here for two years, plant roots for two years. If you're here for four years, plant roots for four years but plant roots because it's so important. Let me read to you some headlines over the past few years. Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic, the Washington Post. Young people report more loneliness than the elderly, USA Today. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness, the Boston Globe. The surpassing effects of loneliness on health, the New York Times. Loneliness begets more loneliness, the Atlantic. How social isolation is killing us, the New York Times. Social, social isolation kills more people than obesity, slate. One pastor, Jeremy Linneman says Americans are lonelier than ever, even though opportunities for social connections have exponentially increased, even with affordable phone calls and free email. Remember when it used to cost for a phone call? <laughs> we're talking to each other less. After decades of, of bowling leagues, American, Americans began bowling alone. Today, in the age of social media, we're not even bowling. We're scrolling alone. How did social isolation become a, such a disturbing trend? And how can the church respond to the loneliness epidemic? Friends, we are a church for our city. And as Jesus looked upon the crowd, it says that from the very depths of his, his inner insight, there was a compassion that came upon Christ as he saw people lost, struggling like sheep without a shepherd. And for us today as a church family, can we look at our culture and our generation and say, Lord, my heart breaks. My heart breaks for our city. My heart breaks for the people that are struggling, that are alone, that don't know where to go, that don't have friends, that that breaks my heart. What does it look like to plant roots? Our text is Jeremiah 29, 1 through 9. And this helps us in learning, in having a vision to plant roots. Here's the context of what was happening in the culture of, ba- of Babylon. This is, this is what the people of Israel were stepping into. Uh, David Kinneman and, and Mark Matlock give the history on this. The, 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 the Babylon of the Bible is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God. A human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. Babylon makes appearances throughout the Bible, most notably and literally in the story of Daniel. But Babylon is there in the pages of the scripture from beginning to end. From the Tower of Babel, the first city of man, in the book of Genesis, to the final act of God's justice and restoration and revelation. Babylon is both a place and an archetype of collective human pursuits set in opposition to God. Friends, As we have said in our culture, we don't need God. We got it from here. What are the ripple effects that happen within our culture? We're feeling it. We're seeing it. And so the question is, what does God tell the people of Israel while in exile, and how can we apply this to believers today? Well, there are three areas that we see from the text about planting roots. And so here's what we see. It's a challenge to move from career to calling to going to staying and three, consuming to contributing. Career to calling, going to staying, consuming to contributing. And so the first one is career to calling. Uh, Let's look at the first couple verses here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually skip to the second uh, verse. It says, This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials and Judah of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metalworkers had departed from Jerusalem. Now, what does this mean? Well, as Nebuchadnezzar moves in, conquers uh, the people of Israel, conquers Jerusalem, what happens is, Uh, he takes the people that were the the skilled laborers within the community. Uh, Verse two tells us that it was a part of the military strategy for Babylon to take the most skilled workers and mobilize them to not build up their city anymore, but to build up Babylon. It was a very smart strategy. See, the goal was uh, that they would capture these people and that they would bring them to Babylon, and they would have them look around and say, wouldn't you want to embrace this city? Look at how amazing this city is. Don't you want to assimilate into the lifestyle that everyone else is living? See, friends, every town, every place that you go to has a certain culture. And the temptation of that culture is to buy in and say, I'm going to live like everyone else here in this place. I'm going to completely assimilate. Because what happens if you don't assimilate? You look weird. You stand out. You're not like everybody else. And so you have different values and ideas and all of those things. And so what we can do is say, hey, If we can provide you with an amazing experience for the top level workers, if we can bring you here, then you can start to build up our city and you can start to build up the ideas that we have. What was the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis? It was this idea. It was innovative. It was creative. It's never been done before. We're going to build a tower, and we're going to take the most skilled people, and we're going to invite you in and say, hey, won't you build this up? Because our goal is to be our own God. We want to be in charge. We want to design the culture and the way it's going to go here. We are the center. And the same thing happens again and again and again. And so what does this look like? Well, we can live in a city and and we can start to look at our career and we can say, you know what, It's, it's just a job, but it helps me to make it around here and to live pretty well. It's just my job. It's what I do. It's a necessary evil of life. Or we can start to buy into the ideas around us and we can say, you know what, my work is my God. That's my safe place. That's where I build up my identity. That's my security. That's everything that that, that makes me who I am. And so it becomes this career that we just pursue our wants, our gains, our needs. But as we see these skilled laborers coming into this new place, what is God's heart for his people? It's to make a shift from seeing it as your career to your calling. Later, God says, I sent you to Babylon. I sent you. Do you hear the call of God and that he sent them to do something there? Is it to go build up Babylon? No, But is it to say that you're going to take all of your skills and all the things that you can add value to the city and and use them separately for yourself? No. It's to use everything that God has placed in your hands in a different, a new way. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. that God has placed all the gifts and skills that I have in my hands, but I am to use them all for him, for his glory. Can you hear the call? The call of God. This isn't just building a career to advance my life. It's to build up the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And that means engaging real life and real people into going into different spaces and saying, ultimately my boss is is God and I serve him. See, our, our work is meant for something bigger than our glory. It's for God's glory. Why is this so important? Why is this so important to understand and to believe? Tim Keller writes, without something bigger than yourself to work for, then all your work energy is actually fueled by one of the other six deadly sins. You may work exceptionally hard because of envy to get ahead of of somebody, or because of pride to prove yourself, or because of greed or even gluttony for pleasure. Do you see what God has placed in your hands as important as these skilled laborers are going to this city that God has given them an opportunity now to use those gifts and those abilities for him? See, God from the very beginning gave us work. Some of you think that work came after the fall. Like it's just, it's it's a grind, it's terrible, you know, but actually work was given before the fall. And so it was actually in the garden, in perfect harmony with God, in perfection, that work was given. That's why you feel purpose when you're doing good work. It's because God gave that as a gift in the garden, He gave a mandate to work the ground. And our faith and work are to be integrated, not separated. So there's This idea of like here's the secular non-Christian stuff and here's the sacred stuff. If you help out here, volunteer here, you say, well, that's the sacred stuff. I'm working for God over here, but then I'm just doing the secular stuff over here. No, all of these things, work and faith, all of those things are integrated and it informs everything that we do, how we think, how we act. It's holistic in how we approach life. Church reformer, Martin Luther, there's a story where a shoemaker comes up to him and says, what must I do to serve God? And Martin Luther asks him, what do you do? He says, I make shoes. Martin Luther says, then make the best shoe you can and sell it at a fair price. That's what transforms a city. That's what cha- transforms a culture. You do it differently because Christ is in your life. See, the shoemaker was expecting that he would say, well, you need to become a priest, you need to become a pastor, you need to go be a missionary, you need to do all these things. No. How do you serve God in the vocation that he's given you? It's a calling. Second, from going to staying. From going to staying. Look at verses four through six. Thus said, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What's happening Well, first, we must remember the false messages that the people were receiving. We talked about this last week, but the first one was from the prophet Hananiah, or Hananiah, and he, he, he basically told them to isolate themselves and to go use the city, but not to invest in the city. He says, stay on the outside, use Babylon, exploit the city, but you're only gonna be here for a couple years. Jeremiah comes back and says, that's not what God... Is saying they're gonna be here for 70 years not two years 70 years Hananiah was telling them just take the easy way out again Babylon was just encouraging them assimilate they were carried into exile assimilate to the culture you're gonna love our city but what did God say Verse four says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Uh, Verse five, build houses and live in them. Just sit on that for a second. Build houses and live in them. This is super practical for us today because this isn't go Airbnb your house or something. He's saying, no, you need to live in it. You need to be there. The lights need to be on. You need to be invested in the community that you live in. Do you know this is a problem today? In March 2022, NBC News came out with an article entitled, this was March 2022, as locals are priced out, Colorado mountain towns fight to keep workers. Communities are turning to innovations like lease limits and new taxes to confront a housing shortage worsened by remote workers and second home owners. Come on, we know how expensive it is to live here. In some places, they're not even occupied by people who actually live here. It's a transient city. See, this isn't a far-off problem. This is in our town. This is in our backyard. And has the potential to destroy the fabric of communities because as you read more in that article, they were saying that that little town in Colorado, the fabric of the community was just being destroyed. There's nobody that can pour into the actual community because everybody was kind of just there consuming and loving the place, but they weren't investing and planting in the place. Destroys the fabric of communities. One of the things that I learned not too long ago from a college student they told me that last, last year, there were college students that were living in their cars because they couldn't afford rent around here. Living in their cars. They're trying to make, get, get an education at UCSD. Church, family, is there a way that we can start to figure something out? I know we can't go change the whole community or whatever, but like, can our heart be like Jesus and look at that and say, man, I got compassion I've got compassion on our community here in our city. There, there's an epidemic of loneliness. There's an epidemic of housing shortage. There's all of these issues that, and anxieties that, that this next generation is coming up with. And to take on this command of build houses and live in them is like, okay, what does that even look like for me? And so there's that. God says, trust me. Trust me, have faith. If I brought you there, will I not keep you there? Will I not build your life? Verse six, take wives and have sons and daughters. Right here, we see God giving the importance of family. A family. He continues, take wives for your sons Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. This is this generational thing that God is talking about here. What we see here is that God cares about families. He cares about children. He cares about marriages. This past year, we were able to do the City Kids Sports Camp. I love the City Kids Sports Camp. I pray that God allow us to continue to do that for our community as long as he allows us to be here. Here's why. Because these kids in our community matter to God. And there's a whole group of youth that's coming up. And the thing that I realized is that there are youth in our community that are coming up and they have been impacted by the City Kids Sports Camp that started seven years ago. Now we have they were kids at the time that were a part of the camp. They are in high school helping out with the camp. I was talking with a parent. She said, this is, this is great. My kids, they, they were here uh, before, and now they're in middle school and in high school. And I said, you know what? Now it's time for them to invest in the upcoming generation. We'd love to have them volunteer next year. Do you know what's that that's teaching our community? That's teaching that the generations that are coming up after them matter. They matter because this matters to God. As we were passing out school supplies this week, we were sitting right there in the courtyard. And as I'm sitting there watching as kids are walking up and they're grabbing their backpacks and talking to Marie who works in the admissions uh, area, that she's administrative staff. She says, I'm just kind of blown away by the need of school supplies this year. And as I was talking with her, I turn around and there's this girl walking away with this backpack looking at her dad just so happy. She loved the backpack. And just the simplicity of that to bring joy to our community, to the people that live here. Praise God. You know, this is a call to plant roots and to stay and to invest, invest in the next generations. Now let's stop and ask, why is there such a culture of going? When we see the benefits of staying, why is there such a culture of going? Well, just like in the case of Israel, I believe that fear, anxiety, trying to make it on our own, trying to figure out our own plans, Right? God takes us in different seasons to different places. I don't, I don't push back on that. But there is a self absorption that's risen within our culture. A pessimism has taken over within our culture and even seeped into the church. Pastor Trevin Wax calls this the decline narrative. The decline narrative. Do you feel the decline narrative? Oh, it's just going to get worse. The decline narrative. See, this can sadly taint our views on marriage, on kids, on family, on hope for the future. That decline narrative can seep into our lives. In March 2020, author David Brooks wrote a a piece for The Atlantic entitled this. This won't be on the screen. The nuclear family was a mistake. The family structure we've held up as the cultural idea for the past Half century has been a catastrophe for many. It's time to figure out better ways to live together. Now, from the title, you can be like, oh, that's a terrible thing that he's saying here. But basically what he's saying, as you read the article, is he's saying we need multi-generational family, community, real community, churches, We need it. Because what happened was there's this idea that it was just me, my spouse, my two and a half kids, and we'll take on the world. And so that picture has been placed upon our culture and on people for years. As this is the ideal. And if you don't live to this, then you... Aren't going to make it. You're weird, friends. Christ said in His Word here, like God loves marriage. God loves kids. When did kids become from go from a blessing to a curse? Not in God's eyes. But friends, we got to address some of the fractures and some of the hurts and some of the pain that's been caused by the ideas not given to us from God's word, but plucked from society and said, "This is the way you need to live." How is it that if you got a big family, that that's a bad thing, right? Or, or that we could never see ourselves getting married or having kids? Any of those things. And I'm not saying that that's for everyone. That's not. But I'm saying that when did we start believing that our faith came from whatever our society told us, not from what God commands from us? I know that within our city there are plenty of kids that don't have moms or dads. what would it look like to take some of those kids into our homes? What does that look like? It has to be in tune with what God's calling us to do in alignment with his scriptures. But like, don't close yourself off to whatever God can do in your life. That's my encouragement. Because many of the things that Going in in our heads and our hearts they start to die as we start to live in a culture that's very pessimistic it's very pessimistic and it's hurtful there's things that have been said and done that have been hurtful and I just want to say that the grace of God covers those hurts and those pains and can meet you in that place and cover those things and redeem those areas but what does God say See, God, from the very beginning, before all of this, had a plan. In this book called The Lost City, I just want (laughs) this picture to, I I just want to paint this picture and just say, like, that is not today. Right, that is not today. This is um, a guy named Alan, Aaron Holt. He said, to be a young homeowner in a suburb like Elmhurst in the 1950s was to participate in a communal enterprise that only the most determined loner could escape. Barbecues, volleyball games, babysitting co-ops, constant bartering of household goods, child rearing by the nearest parents who happened to be around, neighbors wandering through the door at any hour without knocking, All these were devices by which young adults who had been set down in a wilderness of tract homes made a community. It was a life lived in public. This is not a Christian statement. And this was not true for everybody. Even those opportunities weren't true for everybody. But what I want to say is that are there some ideas that God could start to plant into our minds where we say, whoa, maybe I'm not living in a community that even depicts what we see here in Scripture. And so who will we believe? Again, Pastor Trevin Wax encourages us that we need gospel bearings, a trust in Jesus and his word that outweighs the messages we are receiving on a daily and weekly basis. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary, says, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ is risen from the So Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. You know what the doctors told me and my wife? We couldn't have kids. That's what they told us. By the grace of God, we've got three kids. That's not everybody's story, but I'm just telling you, don't like, don't just buy the ideas that the world's throwing at you. God can overcome those things. Last one consuming to contributing. Look at verses seven through nine. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. What does this look like? It's a shift from consuming to contributing. Look at the the words, seek the welfare of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. In its welfare, you will find welfare. This is not for themselves, this is for others. Proverbs eleven eleven says, Through the blessing of the upright, or the righteous, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed. Bible scholar Bruce Walkey points out the bible says that the very definition of righteous people is that they disadvantage themselves to advantage others while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves by their words these aren't even people who are doing anything they're just ready to tear somebody down on next door you know what i mean they've got they've got the keyboard they're ready this they're out to tear down communities and they do that through their words What do the righteous do? They disadvantage themselves for the glory of God. Verse eight, do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Do not listen to their dreams. See, they have dreams that they wanna place on everybody else. This is my dream for you. Here's the thing about vision. Vision is not about my vision or this church's vision. Ultimately, it's about God's vision. What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to say? See, churches have fallen into this trap as well to, to be the center and be, all be about them. Tom Wood says this, most churches tend to start with the attractional model. Come to our church so, you can hel- so we can help you with the unintended message that the city is there to help us grow our church. We don't mean to, but it says, in effect, that the city community is here for us to plant our, or grow our church instead of the attraction model, everything being about you. If you start with an attitude of loving your neighbors, I promise the leaders will notice a difference. Are we willing to disadvantage ourselves for, for others? Are we willing to say, I'm here not for myself, but for this community and for my neighbors that are around me? And it starts right there in your neighborhood, as Jesus says, to love our neighbors as ourself. And so as I wrap up quickly, here's what I wanna leave you with, our takeaways. How can we start to plant roots in our city? The first one is this, seek over settle. Seek over settle. Seek what God is doing in your life. Seek what he can do that's above what any person tells you. This is, be in alignment with this, be in alignment with this, but let's journey together and seek what God can do over just settling and saying, "You know what? I just throw my hands up." And I realize that this generation today, it, it's super hard to do that. It is super hard. Again, Dave Kinneman and um, Mark Matlock said this, and I think this really encapsulates what we're talking about. Apprehension infiltrates many aspects of modern life. anxiety about looking your best and eating right. Pressure to perform your best in school and get ahead. Aching questions about calling, jobs, and finances. Frequent comparisons to others on social media. Gen Z is the most likely generation to admit that seeing others' lives on social media makes them feel insecure about themselves. Fears about losing faith. Ironic worry about mental health and social wellness. Uncertainty about choosing the right spouse, the right career, the right anything, the right everything. So many alternatives at our fingertips can be exhausting rather than freeing. You and I live in a very difficult time. And as a brother who's further along on the journey, about to turn 40, I can look back and say, like, I see that this is not easy. And so as a church family, like we wanna be a church that comes alongside and disciples and helps us to walk through this as we seek Christ, as we seek Christ. Because some of us are so stressed out or anxious that we're like, my only option is to be paralyzed and just settle. But I wanna encourage you to come out and just like trust the Lord. Let's seek him together. The next one is deep over shallow. This is about rooting yourself somewhere with people that's what this church is all about. And so I, my hope is that we just kind of push away from the, the shallow roots thing and start to produce some deep roots, start to connect with some people. Here's what I'm saying to my introvert friends, like I'm not going to make you like, you know, come up front and talk or any of that type of stuff. Like if, if you're introvert, like, please, like, just know that you're here, like you're safe, we care about you. My encouragement is just to be present where God's placed you. See, in the kingdom of God, place, time, season means something. Acts 17, 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. You were made to live in San Diego, California, 2022, right now. You thought about that? that God could be orchestrating in in a part of that and in your life? Next one, contribute over consume. Contribute over consume. That one kind of of speaks for itself. And I'm sorry, because in many ways, there's a book called God is Back. In many ways, the American church, he calls it the Disneyfication of God. Christian light, Basically, we've made the average church into a shopping mall. That's not us. We can't continue with this. This is too serious. People are hurting right now. And so, as believers, I just want you to know that like, the call is like, to, to contribute to be a part of this, to be a part of God's mission in the world. There are people that probably do the same job as you, that are believers here. Connect with them. Let's, say, let's, let's, let's talk about, okay, how can we bring our skills out into the world but not for our own gain but for the glory of God? There are people that you can connect with right here in this room. We're gonna have some trainings. I'm gonna bring my friend Jeff Shue in. We're gonna have some trainings. What does it look like to live with your faith in your work and really to integrate that into your life? We, we, we gotta talk intentionally about that. Also, like, you're going to find fulfillment and joy by being a part of this church family, by contributing and saying, Hey, I'm here. The hardest thing for me sometimes is when I see people and they're like, Yeah, I went to that one church. I was like, Okay, what was that like? Like, well, you know, I went to the service and did you meet anybody? No. When'd you get there? Like, right when it started? When'd you leave? Right when it ended? Did you talk to anybody? No. Did you think about helping out? No. Did you go to a city group? No. Okay. Well, yeah, you're probably going to get that out of that experience, (laughs) just like anything. But if you say, hey, I'm here, I'm going to contribute, I'm going to jump in, I'm going to pour in, that's going to be a different experience. Last one is kingdom over castle. Kingdom over castle. The the beautiful thing is, as we think about the church in San Diego, how many churches are there? We talked about this. There's only one. It's Jesus' church. And there's kingdom work happening all over our city community. And so we want to be a church that is sending and supporting. Uh, uh, Last week we sent Gendarme. He's up in L.A. We were at a city-to-city cohort this past week talking about church planting. I'm excited for the future, what God's doing in his life. Josiah Gleesner is also part of our church family. He's going as a missionary overseas to an unreached people group. We're gonna be supporting him. He went through the training of Radius. Uh, Leela, where you at, Leela? Leela, college minister, Destino, we love you. We support you. Steven, InterVarsity. Uh, Deanna, InterVarsity. Lauren, crew, Bridges. We're here. We are investing in our people and saying, hey, we support you. And so how does this all come to fruition? Because some of us are like, oh, yeah, I get it. I'm going to plant roots. I'm going to stop being, you know, into my, my own world and really start to plant roots and start to invest. And yes, okay, I get it. I'm going to push away from this shallow, sinful self-absorption of Babylon and start to plant myself here in the city. And I just want to tell you, if, if that's the message, it ain't going to work. You're going to get tired. You're going to get burnt out. You're going to say, hey, I'm done. I can't do this. but let me tell you about the one who did it perfectly. See, Jesus Christ came to the city not for himself but for others. And as Jesus walked this city and spoke the truth and did miracles and and did good all throughout the city, it was our selfishness and self-absorption that said, Jesus, we don't want you here, and we threw him out of the city. And in Hebrews 13, 12 through 14, it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now, let me leave you with this gospel truth. Jesus Christ was thrown out of the city of God so you and I could be brought in. Why? He got the punishment. He got the banishment. He got the exile. Sin deserves to be thrown out of the city, but Jesus Christ took it for us. So when you believe in Jesus, you are automatically enrolled in the city of God. You become a city, a citizen of the city of God. Listen carefully. Jesus lost the city that was so we could become citizens of the city that is to come and that makes us salt and light in the city that is. The only way that you can learn to plant roots is when you see Where the root is, it's in Jesus. When I am rooted in Jesus and I see that he's the vine and I'm the branch, then what happens is you start to bear much fruit. See, Jesus, the one that was thrown out of the city, is the one that sends us into the city to go be his light. That's gonna be your strength. And you gotta feed off of that every day. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Jesus, help me. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to a city not to be there for yourself, but you came to deny yourself and to die for us. Those who were caught up in, we were caught up in all of the things that were opposed to you. It says we were alienated from God, but you came near to the broken, to the lonely, to the last, to the last, to the one that's defined as the loser, to the one that's defined as weird. You came to us, and you died for us. And so we pray that, Lord Jesus, because of what you've done for us, you will transform us into people that will be for your city, for, for people, for our neighbors. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at GraceCitySD.com. Gray City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.